morning. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it up here. Some of you will know I am the primary school kids pastor. Uh, so normally on a Sunday morning, I'm over at the Mac. Uh, and, and when I'm sharing, I, I'm running around and like getting people all up and involved, which I won't do to you guys, don't worry. But I'm slightly worried I'll fall off this. But we'll try it at first and see how we get on. Um, so as Ian said, my name's Dave. I'm part of the pastoral team. Um, and we are continuing our Joshua series called Courage from Heaven. Um, I don't know if any of you ever experienced this. I read chapter four, which is part of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, I read it and I thought, I've got nothing. I was just like, I don't know what God is trying to say through this. I don't know what it means. Whoa. Um, which was a bit of a worry. Um, but as I sort of spent more time thinking about it and, and praying it through and reading around it and reading it in the context of chapter five as well, um, God just, there was just so much stuff that I was like, this is what he's saying. This is what he wants to say. Um, so really excited for it, but we are doing both chapters, so I'm going to dive right in. Um, I have called this stepping into God's calling. This is the moment, chapter four is the moment at which the Israelites um, go from the desert and finally they cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. This is them stepping into what God has been calling them to um, since Abraham, so five, six hundred years previously. And I think it's really important, first of all, to clarify and to define what I mean by calling. Um, some of you may be sat there thinking, oh, another talk on calling. I've never heard from God. I don't have a calling. I don't know what that means. Ugh, I'll just tune out for this one. Um, that is not true. And I've got friends that I've grown up with in church who've had that same sort of belief and that same hurt of God has never spoken to me specifically about one thing. I don't have a calling. I guess he's not interested. I'll just get on with life. Um, that is absolutely not true. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have one clear primary calling and we read it in Matthew 28 and it's Jesus and he says therefore go and make disciples of all nations so go don't let your faith stagnate go and make disciples of all nations introduce people to Jesus and then show them how to walk with him so that is our calling we all have that calling but I do believe that God often wants to impart something specific to us he created us he created us individually with our strengths and with our weaknesses. Um, and he does want to call us often into specific things. I was chatting with a friend of mine, Will, uh, this week, and he just phrased it really well. So I just want to share what he said, and it's going to come up behind me. And he said, in all times and all places, we are called to make disciples of all nations. At some times and in some places, we are each called to different ways of doing this. And we were just chatting, and I was like, that's it. That's I'm writing this down. Um, so we have, these two, we have these two ideas of calling. We have the general primary calling on all of us who have decided to follow Jesus, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. And we have this more specific calling, which is for some of us at some time, at different times. But both of them are callings, and both of them are what I'm talking about this morning. So the story so far is the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They have cried out to God, and he has heard them, and he has said, this is not what I created you for. I created you to be a light to the nations, but you can't do that under the oppression of slavery. So um, God has used Moses and his brother Aaron, 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 
Aaron, um, and drawn them out of Egypt. And we've had the Exodus. And they, the Red Sea is parted, and they walk into the desert. And not long after that, they have arrived at this same place on the edge of the Promised Land. And they've sent 12 spies in to go and see what the land is like. And 10 of these spies come back and say, there are giants in the land. We cannot take this land. We will be utterly destroyed. And two of them come back, Joshua and Caleb come back and say, God is with us. This is what God has called us to do. We can take the land. And the nation listened to the 10 and they let fear infect them and they turn away from the promised land and then wander the desert for 40 years. And at the end of that 40 years, we get to the exact same place that they were at before, right on the edge of the promised land. And we get the book of Deuteronomy. Um, And Deuteronomy is where Moses stands up and recounts to the whole nation everything that God has done to bring them to this point so far. Deuteronomy means the second law, the second telling of all that has happened. Moses then dies on the edge of the promised land and the leadership of the nation passes to Joshua. They then cross the Jordan by another miracle. And so this is where we come in at chapter four is the priests um, step into the river uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the waters of the River Jordan, which is in flood at this time of year, are held back and the entire nation passes through in front of the priests and in front of the Ark. What they then do, the first thing they do, God commands them, one man from each tribe to pick up a stone from the riverbed uh, and take it into the promised land and build a monument of these 12 stones. Um, And these stones, this monument serves two purposes. And the first is that it is an act of remembrance. Now, biblical remembrance is not like our sort of worldly reminiscing. I don't know if you've ever had this. When I left school, I had this. I'd sort of meet up with some friends and we kind of reminisce about everything and sort of tell all the old stories and laugh at the old jokes and things like that. Um, but it never, really, it never really went anywhere. We didn't really have the time to make new memories. And so after three or four times of meeting up and telling the same old stories and the same old jokes, it just kind of stagnates and the relationship just faded away. Biblical remembrance is not like that. Biblical remembrance is a forward-focused activity. So they build this pile of stones as this act of remembering what God has done before. We are forward-focused. This gives us hope for what God is going to do in the future. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God has done for us in the past, he can do for us again. And so the first question I just want to throw out is, what is your story? How have you come to be here this morning in this church? Every one of us will have a story. God will have done things. This might be your thousandth time in church. You will have a story about how God has got you here. This might be your first time in church. I just want to say, if if that is for anyone, I hope it's lots of you, this is your first time, I want to say two things. And the first is that you are so welcome. This is a family here for you. And the second thing is that God wants you here. We want you here and God wants you here. And he will have moved things to get you here. He will have put people in your path to invite you. Or he will have given you a dream about coming to church. Or he will have drawn your attention to random things at random points. It could be a hundred different things. All of us have a story about how God has got us here. 
So the second purpose of these stones is it's a declaration of intent. Um, 12 is like Israel's mark. It's like their, it, nowadays it'd be like their graffiti tag. I don't know if anyone, I feel really bad for him. If anyone's noticed the guy who's tagged the building next to ours uh, with DFS, and I'm like, that's a sofa shop. No matter how cool you try and make it look, it's a sofa shop that always has a sale on. Um, but this is their tag, not a sofa shop. 12 is like Israel's thing. And it always is, all through the Bible, 12 is their thing. And so they come in and they are declaring with this monument who they are and the fact that they are there to step into what God has been calling them to all these years. And we see this shift from fear into courage. 40 years ago, they stood on the edge of the promised land and they were too afraid to even cross over. But now we see this shift, this courage from heaven has come upon them. And not only have they crossed into the promised land, but they've gone in and stamped their mark on it. This land belongs to seven nations and they've gone in and said, this is us and this is what we're here for. We see a really similar thing um, in the New Testament at Pentecost. Jesus has died. He's risen again. He's spent time with his disciples and he's ascended to heaven. Um, And the disciples are locked away in a room, too scared to even go outside, scared of persecution, arrest, scared that they'll be put to death. And then the Holy Spirit falls on them. They're full of this courage from heaven. And suddenly, not only are they brave enough to go outside, but they go out onto the street and start proclaiming Jesus Christ as the risen Messiah, only way to salvation. So they've gone from this point of not being able to even cross out of the door to going out with this incredible courage. What if God is calling us, what if God is calling you to something that you don't do because of fear? Are you prepared to wait 40 years for another opportunity? And this is why we need and why we pray for courage from heaven. And so the second thing I just want to put to you is, is what is your next step? What is the sort of threshold that you are too afraid to cross over? What is it that you need the courage from heaven to now go and do, to explore the next step of your calling? And this could be any, any kind of thing. It might be simply saying it out loud to someone, just finding someone you trust, someone you know, and saying to them, do you know what, I believe God has called me overseas. I believe God has called me to write a book, to invite someone to Alpha, to start the process of fostering or adopting. It might be as simple as just saying to someone, this is what God is calling me to. It might be telling our colleagues that we go to church. On the Monday when they say, what did you do at the weekend? Tell them, I went to church. If they ask why, be ready to have a reason. Why do you go to church? What is the point? Have a reason. And it might be having that conversation with them. It might be praying for healing for someone. For some of us, we sort of sit here and we're like, I I love what I hear and I love to worship God and I love to pray in my own space. But the idea of going and stepping out into it and stepping out into that vulnerability of if God doesn't show up, I'm going to look very, very foolish. The idea of that shift, that is the thing that is scaring us. That is the thing that we need the courage to step into. It might be giving 
God might be calling you to financially support something inside the church or outside the church, a person, a ministry. Fear is holding you back that you won't have enough if you start obeying God in that. Um, Similarly with time, it might be that he is calling you to take a day or two out of your working week. Do something like the leadership year, shameless plug. (laughs) To start working with refugees, to start working at a food bank. Um, For my wife, Rach, and I, this was our story. God called us uh, a year into our marriage, so three years ago. God called us to give of our time to the church to the extent that we took a a significant financial hit. And um, what that looked like for us then was, so we uh, both signed up to do the encounter year, um, which was uh, um, two days a week, uh, working for the church, learning within the church, Um, and I got a job three days a week um, elsewhere, and we felt God saying for Rach not to get a job in the remaining three days a week, but to start volunteering as the youth pastor here. Now, this was at a time when we really had no money at all. Um, There were hardly any youth, but we were like, this is what God is calling us to. And if you feel like God is calling you to give of your money or your time, but you're worried that there won't be enough left over, I can tell you, He provides, and not just what we need. He loves to lavish good things upon us. We, um, six months into making this decision, uh, so living off, uh, the both of us living off three days um, wage a week, um, Rachel's gran phoned us up and said, I'm going on a 14-day cruise to Norway to see the Northern Lights. Do you want to come? I'll pay. We're like, yes. God provides and he loves to give us good things. Um, It might be as far as, is it quitting your job? God has spoken in the past. You have not listened because of fear and the job that you are in is holding you back from your calling, whether it's a specific calling or whether it is from your calling to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, it's important to say your job might be the perfect place for you to do that. You might be in the exact right place. But it might be that God has spoken, you have said, I can't do that, and you're in the wrong career. He might be inviting you to retrain. Um, for me, I grew, up in the, I grew up in the church, my sort of, uh, the point at which I made a proper commitment to God, where I was like, this is what I want my life to look like, uh, was when I was 19, and I was traveling on my gap year, um, and I came back. Um, I had a place at Birmingham Uni to train to be a chef, and I'd had it for a year. I'd deferred my place. And so I went there, and within the first week, I felt God say to me, you made this plan without me. I've got a different plan for you. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so quit and, and came back, went back home to Southampton, worked for my church uh, for a year, and then came to Cardiff to study theology. He might be calling you to that dramatic a reshuffle of your life. So what has God done to get you here so far? And what is that next step? What for you is the next step into your calling, into what he is calling you to? Now, as we move into chapter five, um, I don't know if any of you guys have had this when you've read scripture. You're reading something and you're like, I've probably read this several times before, but it has never really clicked I've never noticed that little detail. Um, this happened for me twice as I, as I read the beginning of um, five. And the first is that when they, they cross over, the whole nation crosses over, they build this stone monument, um, and then all of the men are circumcised. And then they call it Gilgal, which means rolled back, 
which I just think is the funniest thing I'd ever read. It's just in a little footnote at the bottom of my Bible. I was like, I wonder what Gilgal means. What? Oh, man, I could not stop laughing. Um, <laughs> the second thing I noticed, which is probably significantly more profound, um, is that on the eve of battle, they re-covenant themselves to God. At the crucial moment, they weaken themselves. Now, this could easily read, and I don't think any of us would be surprised if it said they crossed the Jordan, they declared war on all seven nations, and then they began a rigorous protein-fueled workout regime. Don't forget leg day, don't forget rest day. You can tell I work out. Um, but it doesn't say that. It says they crossed the Jordan, they declared war on seven nations, and then they immediately physically weakened their entire army. Practical preparation is really important as we step into our calling, but it is not as important as being close to God, as being committed to God. That is the primary thing. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, David, who went on to be King David, um, but this is, this is before then, this is before he takes on um, Goliath the giant. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. And he is saying, I am circumcised and he is not. I am covenanted to God and he is not. It doesn't matter about my outward appearance or my outward circumstances. I'm not too young or too small and too weak. And that is what everyone around David was saying. You are too young, you are too small, you are too weak. And he says, that stuff doesn't matter. I'm covenanted to God and he is not. I love the living God and he is defying the living God. And how often do we think like that? I cannot step into my calling because I'm not a good enough Christian. I don't pray, I don't worship enough. I won't have enough money. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too middle-aged. I can't do it because I'm single. I can't do it because I'm married. I can't do it because I've got kids. I can't do it because I don't have kids. This endless list of reasons that we give that we can't step into these things, but they fade into the background when you say, I can do this because God has called me to it. There's this great quote, and I, I couldn't find out where it comes from, so I couldn't source it, um, but it's quite famous. It says, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. If God has called you to something, and he has, because even if it's not this specific thing, you're called to go and make disciples of all nations. If God has called you to something, go and do it. He will equip you as you go. And then the last bit of chapter five, um, it's just this great little scene. Joshua uh, is walking on the plains of Jericho um, and he runs into a guy with a sword. And he says, are you for us or are you for them? Are you for the Israelites or the Jerichites? Koish? Jericho people. Are you, for, are you for us or are you for the Jericho people? Um, and, he, and the angel gives this incredible answer, which I absolutely love. He just goes, no. Which I just think, well, I'd love the confidence. To, are, you, are you this thing or this thing? No. Um, he says, I am the commander of the armies of the Lord. Good title. Um, and in this, there is both a warning to us and a reassurance. 
as we step into God's calling. And the warning is this, don't try and do it in your own strength. Don't make the thing God has given you your battle to fight because you won't manage it. Moses' first attempt to set the Hebrews free from the oppression of slavery, uh, he tried to do it in his own strength. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And the next day, uh, the Hebrews turned on him and said, what are you going to do to us? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian. And he's forced to flee his home and then wait 40 years for his next chance. And then he comes back, does it in God's strength and sees the entire nation set free. So the warning is this, don't do it in your own strength. You won't manage it. But the reassurance is this, you don't have to do it in your own strength. If God has called you to see modern day slavery eradicated, and he may well, he has called people, individual people, to see things of that magnitude before. If he has called you to see women in Cardiff released from prostitution, to see nations changed, you don't have to do it in your own strength. So as we step into God's calling, it's important to remember, what has God done already? How has God got us to this point? And then to ask, what is your next step? What is the thing, the threshold you're afraid to cross over into because of fear? Pray for courage from heaven and do it. Make sure you are committed to God above and beyond all other preparation. And don't do it in your own strength. And don't feel like you have to do it in your own strength. So what we normally do now is we move into time of ministry, which we are going to do. Um, but as I was preparing for this, I felt God say that he wanted to do, um, do something a little bit differently. So we're just going to stay where you are, stay that down. And um, it just, it really hit me. The bit of this that really hit me was that they recovenant themselves to God. They recommit themselves to God. And... What I want to do is invite anyone who feels like they need to do that. They need to recovenant. They need to recommit themselves to God um, in a minute to stand. Now, obviously, we're not going to circumcise anyone um, or physically weaken you in any way. Um, but I think it is an important part of it that there is that weakening. There is that I will become less that God will become more. Um, and I think we often talk about other cultures having this concept of saving face um, as if we don't, but I think that's a real part of our culture, is never wanting to be embarrassed, never wanting to stick your head above the parapet. Um, so what I'm going to do, the band are going to come back up, and we're going to move into ministry time after this, but just invite you, and this will 